Hey up, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to episode 83 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Episode 83, crikey. Episode 100 is getting frighteningly close, eh? Kind of feels like I should mark that in some way. I've actually had a few people sending in ideas for that. Quite a few people seem to want me to be interviewed for episode 100. Let me just say, of all the podcast tropes, and there's a lot of them out there, hosts being interviewed on their own show is by far the shittest. So I'm not going to be doing that. But if you've got any ideas for guests for episode 100, let's hear them. Because, you know, a bit of a milestone. Be good to mark it in a, in a nice way. Anyway, on with this one. My guest this week is Cersei Wallace. And I'm going to say it again. It's yet another multi-layered, thoughtful and extremely insightful conversation. I've actually interviewed Cersei a couple of times over the years. And I've long wanted to meet her in person given the impressiveness of her achievements and the unsung influence she's long exerted over the action sports industry. Now on this podcast, I've used the old F. Scott Fitzgerald line about there being no second act in American lives before. Enigmatic line, that one. The jury's out on what he actually meant. But if you take it literally, which I'm going to do in this case, let's just say that Cersei disproves that. After all, she succeeded at two life-defining careers which I think you'll agree is no small achievement. The first, obviously, is her era-defining snowboarding career, which, of course, we discussed in full detail. She first came to prominence as one of snowboarding's original and most legendary female professional snowboarders, achieving massive success and setting the standard that the generations that followed had to live up to. Crucial part in snowboarding history, Cersei, and I think that really needs to be stated from the top. So... If you don't know, go and check it out. The video parts are all out there. She's a legend. I'm just going to put that out there. Anyway, the second part of her career, Cersei saw an opportunity in the nascent world of action sports talent management, seized it with both hands, and over the intervening two decades has carved out another era-defining career for herself in that industry as well. Today, she's Executive Vice President for Action Sports and Olympics at the Wasserman Group. Wasserman, sorry. I mean, that's difficult for us Brits to say. Always want to put some kind of Teutonic inflection on that. Anyway, she acts as agent and mentor to luminaries such as Paul Rodriguez, Tora Bright, Travis Rice and Nicholas Muller. And now she's also opening a third front as if those two things weren't enough as an outlet for her formidable entrepreneurial and creative spirit, the brand Hot Knife, which we also discussed in this episode. Now, by any measure, that is a wildly impressive record of success. And today, Cersei does enjoy a reputation as one of the industry's most successful and inspirational figures. And yet, as we explored during our conversation, the journey has not been as straightforward as I've perhaps just made it sound. And I've got to say, it's another example of themes that have become depressingly familiar over the time I've been doing this show, particularly in episodes that spring to mind featuring Lane Beachley, Corey Schumacher, about the many barriers faced by women determined to make it in an intensely male world, and about how, as a confident, unapologetic female entrepreneur determined to safeguard her own value, Cersei's faced obstacles at every turn, to the point that during our conversation, she kind of straight-facedly referred to herself as a pariah among certain elements of the industry, which I was quite taken aback by, as you can hear, because that is a strong word and, you know, obviously a pretty interesting insight into the, the experiences that Cersei's had, which we do dig into. But ultimately, 
This is a positive, uplifting and hopefully inspiring story of a driven, focused woman taking on a male-dominated industry and succeeding on her own terms. It's about how she coped with the collateral damage sustained along the way and found a way of overcoming the toxicity that depressingly seems to come with the territory whenever a woman attempts to achieve parity on her own terms. I very much enjoyed meeting Cersei and I very much enjoyed our conversation. Really grateful to her and Chaz for welcoming us into their home and for answering my questions so openly and honestly. Here it is, my conversation with Cersei Wallace. Enjoy. Wow, this is a really lovely scene. We, what's the haze caused by? Uh, just marine layer. Is it? Uh-huh. Is it really common? Yeah. Because it's really... We're so close, we're kind of on the hill, so... So you get that, what, most mornings? Yeah, a misty morning. It's really nice, isn't it? It's yeah. It's really, really atmospheric. Yeah, it's a special place. Yeah, how long have you lived in this part of the state then? Um, I have lived in North County and Sinitas since kind of the mid 90s because there's big contingent here right of the kind of yeah actually i moved here um when i started dating andy hetzel oh wow right okay so mid kind of the height of your snow career then yeah it was it was and was it the fact that it was kind of like a bit of an industry base down here that that led you here um no it was because i was chasing winter all the time and i grew up in the northwest and i really wanted to be in the warm and surf it was really about getting in the water right because you live that kind of check like you know constantly on the grind basically after snow yeah and i had started surfing in the northwest on the washington coast right um really when i was dating jamie lynn um started going out to westport a lot and then started coming down here and i mean the first time i came down here i was like what am i doing yeah we've been a bit like that (laughs) (laughs) we've been doing a lot of conversations like do you think do you think you could move here yeah i think we could definitely could definitely live over especially this part of the coast because it's really retained some character hasn't it it has it's definitely um gotten a little more gentrified just since i've lived here i think one of the challenges that i have is just it's very uh, it's not very culturally diverse, but we get to travel enough that yeah, yeah, as yeah, I guess it is quite kind of white and surfy. It's it's white privilege, yeah, for sure. And I think just especially for the girls, wanting them to see the diversity of our world has been important for us. But um, we we're in LA a lot, yeah, so we get that and traveling a lot for work. Yes, yeah. and try to do the family thing as much as I can. Integrating that into the life-work balance yeah. has been pretty fun, actually. Yeah, how's that working out then? Because you're obviously, you know, obvious comment, but pretty busy. Yeah, um, well, I don't know. I've kind of um, early on really felt like I wanted to integrate my children into my life. So just kind of packed them with me yeah brought them along for the ride yeah yeah um my mom had great advice for me when i was pregnant with ava who's 17 now um that this baby is coming into your world take her everywhere yeah and actually we didn't know it was a girl at that time so yeah take it everywhere yeah yeah i think were her exact words but 
I was really worried because I was super ambitious and I thought that having a child might compromise my ambition. How old were you at the time? I was 30. I, I was I was 29. Ava was a few days old when I turned 30, so I was, I was 30. And where where are we in your snowboarding career at this point? Um, I, I was retired. You were retired. I had already kind of started you, the family with Steve and was representing talent. Okay, so you'd already into that part of your career. Well, I had I had left the family um, and then I think when I left, Steve's parting words to me were just don't end up barefoot and pregnant. Right. And I ended up barefoot and pregnant. That's, it's quite a thing, isn't it? Because I run a company um, and I've got, it's not a big company at all, it's like I've got 10 staff and I've got like quite a few female staff and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of them having children and becoming becoming mothers and it's amazing still how people are you know to me as a business owner a bit like oh what are you gonna do about that you know that's oh yeah and i'm a bit I like mean, well i'm just gonna let them have maternity leave and like go and have a child and then give them the job back when they come you know like it seems a quite a low bar for progressiveness is what i mean you know even that comment yeah to kind of say like whatever you do don't become pregnant or it's going to, you know, the implied thing is it's going to damage your career, basically, isn't it? You know? Right, right. I think it's, especially in America, we're really still behind the curve on that one. I mean, I think there's certainly a reality that there's a shift that happens for us as women when we become mothers in terms of uh, our priorities, a natural kind of evolution of, of our lives. Um, but at least in my experience, it made me work harder because all of a sudden, you know, you have this human being that you need to care for. So for me, I think it actually gave me a boost in terms of my commitment to the, to the work. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of women, especially at the executive level who or or women who want to be successful and are driven. I think um, having children, especially because there is kind of a stigma, you want to um, break that down a little. And so you work even harder, which I think is is challenging for us. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you feel because that's an imbalance, right? really yeah like, we do more than we probably should yeah because is it hard not to be resentful about that extra hurdle you need to overcome in that situation <laughs> oh that's a good question yeah no i mean i think the resentment comes later when mm. you're in it you're just surviving right i think the resentment and the anger and the frustration of the imbalance or the expectations or the societal expectations come later yeah and how does that manifest um in anger yeah i'm <laughs> frustration. sure frustration it's, it's something i've been lucky enough to interview a lot of successful women for this show and it's a really common theme that's why i asked the question i mean i, yeah. I, I interviewed lane beachley for example and she seven world titles at the time and and it was a theme for her and it was incredible to me really that even though she achieved so much she'd not been made to feel worthy or she there was still an extra thing she had to prove you know which is why i asked the question really because it just seems such a universal theme yeah i think it is 
Um, I don't have, I don't even have clarity on it myself because I think I'm still working through some of that. I think, you know, anger is so toxic and I don't want to carry that. So it's been a bit of a process. To, to, to kind of keep it in the right place. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of that I, I channel into, okay, how can I be a better parent? to my daughters how can I look at what I've done as um helping carve a path for them um but I think you know the action sports industry as a whole is really um is is behind well you've your career has been making your name in very male dominated industries right so yeah presumably <laughs> i continue that trajectory pre- presu- you know from <laughs> snowboarding to i would, can't claim to know a lot about the world you're currently working but i imagine it's fairly male dominated and then your latest kind of um project with hot knife mm-hmm. is also pretty traditionally male dominated right so it is it is um have you had have you has that experience enabled you to find ways of coping with this then I'm still working on that. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of that comes later. I, I don't think I had a lot of, I didn't understand the imbalance or the inequality or the oppression until later in my career. I think early on I was so driven and so, determined to find a way to participate in you know snowboarding and skateboarding and surfing the things that I loved in a meaningful way that I kind of had blinders on a little bit and I think I kind of had an attitude like well you know you just have to work hard yeah exactly that's the way it is and And, so and there's also that is in the culture isn't it as well this idea that you just have to it's about the work and if you do the work then you, you'll you'll be successful and you'll be noticed yeah and i i mean you know it's like they say the cream always rises to the top or and you know and i think there is some validity to that on some level it's you know the tenacity the yeah. determination especially the, in your current job you must see that all the time right yeah yeah and so i think um it's more the systemic um patriarchal power structure which i probably use too much but I feel like that's the best way to describe the paradigm shift that's happening right now in our culture um, where you know the the veil has been lifted a little bit in where the inequalities are not just for women but for minorities or people of color and all kinds of inequalities and um, I think especially in the political climate and the Me Too movement and, you know, Time's Up and some, some really big kind of catalysts, um, 45 being one of them, um, for a greater visibility. And I will say that the 2016 election was so devastating and brought up so much stuff that I didn't even know I had been carrying around. So I'm still working through that. Can you dig into that a little bit? 
Um, well, you know, it's just like, as a woman, you know, all, all kinds of stuff has happened to me, but I've never been a victim of it. It's always just been like, okay, I'm a survivor, right? This is, you know, what, this is how you get ahead. Yeah. You, you fight your way through this, this is, shit. This is almost part of the... It's use, the game. I'm, I was going to use the word game, but I didn't want to... It, it is. You know, it, it was it, the game. And and I wanted to win the game, right? And so you take, you know, two moves back, four forward. Yeah. And I think the realization that some of the experiences that I had, or I would call it trauma. And, you know, I, I haven't been raped. So it's somewhat relative right but um there have been plenty of instances in the workplace and otherwise where i realize were not those situations weren't okay yeah and i just pushed through them because no one was gonna protect me i had to find my way through it and you so you mentioned this 2016 you know the, the recent thing events been a bit of a watershed of awareness really are you seeing change are you seeing things to feel positive about i am um absolutely i think there's still a long way to go um but there's little glimmers of progress specifically um you know if i look at like what's happening in women's skateboarding right now yeah. it's super exciting and a lot of that is the the catalyst was olympics even in the last few months right there's been a there's been a real kind yeah, of change he, of narrative yeah exactly and you have some of these bigger brands like adidas committing you know substantial dollars to their women's programs yeah. and hiring female executives to lead their team and you know some real steps forward which was always the argument as well wasn't it that it wasn't worth the investment because there wasn't the the kind of market or that's right the the argument was always that the uh, that women and girls don't buy products uh from celebrity endorsements or athlete endorsements so it's not worth our spend so right they don't move the needle yeah exactly which you know again comes up when you when you hear about professionals of that era hitting a glass ceiling basically with their careers and and not being able to progress so it's yeah i mean the skateboarding thing like you say it's interesting that you that you're seeing that now is you seeing it in other sports as well well i mean snowboarding has is kind of an enigma in that i don't know that it has ever been super oppressive for girls it's always been an area of opportunity compared to others right? has been yeah and i feel really proud that i came up through that um I guess market size probably yeah. is why. And also, I guess, a progressive message at the beginning you yeah. know, with the culture. Yeah. Um, I think it's still really interesting that, um, you know, Kim, Kimmy is, you know, one of the first women to continue a career post baby. And also it's a story, you know, yeah. it is like, hey, check out the snowboarding mom. And you know? it's 2018, yeah. 19, right? So I think, you know, that's a great example of progress, but also like really. Yeah, uh, it it's also a great example of like, wow, there is quite a long way to go. Really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so is that one of the things that appealed to you about snowboarding when you first discovered it? Because you came up through skateboarding, right? I did. 
You know, what I loved about snowboarding was it was inherently anti-establishment. We were like the little shits on the hill and being in nature. It was like a magical wonderland. And I had grown up um, camping a lot. My parents were, you know, kind of starving artist types. You're from Oregon, right? Yeah. And so summers, you know, up until my teen years when I rebelled, um, were all about being in nature. And it's funny because I, you know, as a teen, was repelled by one more camping trip, right? With my family. Yeah, it was not like again. the worst thing I <laughs> yeah. could imagine. But going snowboarding and being in that environment with my friends was just an endless nature adventure. Yeah. And I think that really, you know, in retrospect, I don't think I knew that then. Then more it was probably about being a part of something. Yeah. This small kind of nascent and adventurous um uh outlier yeah i mean what we talking early late 80s early 90s uh i started snowboarding in 1984 oh wow right okay so proper and i would say by 89 which was the year i graduated i was going from high school Uh, i ended up in an alternative high school i couldn't cut the seattle school system um, but they had a ski program. Right. And so on the weekends, uh, Fridays, every Friday, that's yours, yeah. Thanks. Um, we would go to the mountains on a school bus. Nice. And I think that was really kind of where I was like, oh, wow, this is this is a real opportunity for me. And right. a lot of it was because I went to this K-12 through Summit alternative school that offered this program wow okay so but you recognized it as as a kind of a you know way out almost i did there was or a way forward yes there was a a, you know competitive the northwest series which i started doing yeah you got a pretty vibrant scene up there at that time it was it was you know bob barcy who um had a bike snowboard shop was one of the early contributors and helped organize the northwest series and and i would go to all of those and I want a bunch of stuff. And th- then it was like, oh, wow, I can actually maybe do this. Yeah. And we, was it, because, you know, there's always that thing as well that it was the right time for snowboarding to come along and get the kind of influence of skateboarding at this point. So presumably this is something that you were also recognizing. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole board sport thing was, you know, there was like enough of us yeah. who were passionate about a, a sideways stance experience. Yeah that um you know the surfers the skaters started to be attracted as well as you know the existing very small yeah snowboarding community and then you know and then it just kind of was a perfect storm yeah yeah so is this when your career started to kind of develop and you thought well perhaps there is a way of Making something it more was, of this. It, it, it was like all I wanted to do. Um, and I had a boyfriend at the time who told me that I was, that, you know, being a pro was a totally ridiculous goal. And that was it for that relationship. Because right. it was like I was going to chase this, not even because I thought like I would make money, 
but because I just loved it so much. Yeah. It was the best thing I'd ever done. And I found like my community in it. And yeah. that's where I felt like for the first time in my life, I'd always been kind of an awkward, you know, I was a skate kid, yeah. you know, I was real tomboyish and, um, snowboarding was the first time where I felt like this just robust social inclusion that I, <clears throat> that I hadn't felt before. I felt like I was really part of something. Yeah, well, it's a powerful thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially by the sounds of it at this point in your life. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. And friends that I'll have forever. Yeah. And, well, and you did really well. Let's not... I did. <laughs> I did really well. Let's not um, avoid that topic. You, you well, were, I've you always been... I've always had this really incredible drive... F- to be successful yeah like from as early as I can remember and I think a lot of that is because you know like I said my parents were starving artists total creative super talented um but I always had to work for like the material things that I wanted and I'm pretty materialistic person like I really wanted nice things yeah and so if there was an opportunity for me to do what I loved and make that work for me you, you grabbed it I did. Yeah. And I think I probably, I'm sure a lot of people that I worked with, sponsors or, you know, TMs or whatever, thought I was just a complete pain in the ass. What, because you were so focused? And like super demanding and, you know, uh, kind of probably entitled. Right. That's interesting, isn't it? Because again, you're coming back to that sort of double standardy kind of thing. Yeah, I I carried that burden a little bit because I was I really asked for yeah what I wanted. It's kind of not alright if you're a, a woman to do That's that. That's right, especially in that era where it was very you know. And if you look back at the you know, like we were talking about the way these things are marketed, that was probably quite unusual, right? Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people thought that the only reason that I was successful is because I was Jamie Lynn's girlfriend, or you know, a lot of that. There yeah. was a lot of that. And was that something that you were able to ignore? Or did you just develop a thick skin really quickly? I just worked harder to get noticed so it, from on the merits of my own. So it drove you? It did on some level. It made me work harder because I, there was no way. You know, I ended up, you know, Jamie and I broke up a lot because I felt like I couldn't live in his shadow. Well, quite shadow at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one of the great loves of my life. I I love him dearly. And that was a you know again a lot of my own ambition was like there's no way i'm ever going to get noticed standing next to you right so that drive was something that was there from the start and it sounds like it was kind of a mix of the personal and the you know the political if you like the political being the way that you have to interact with the outside world and and you know forward your own agenda yeah and i don't even think that was strategic it was totally like fluid like right um just instinct yeah but when did you start to recognize that as a strength is that something that could really work for you i don't think i recognize it as a strength until much later when i look back on why i did well i mean i wasn't the best snowboarder by any means but i did well economically and i think a lot of that was just because i demanded it right and how did that play in the industry for you um it it was it was good for a while 
you know, and then I got injured. Yeah, which is why your career ended, right? Yeah. Th- I think that's why I was, because it's young, you know, you said I was 30 and I was still in my head thinking, well, probably still riding then, you know? Yeah, no, I was done by like 27. So young, isn't it? Yeah. 26 or 27, yeah, was my second ACL. Yeah. And that was that when you kind of... That was it. You knew. Yeah. So when you look look back at your riding career now and you look at the the careers that people can have now or the, or the climate for female snowboarders now, do you? is there any part of you that wishes you'd come up in this era? No. God, no. The shit they do is so radical. Like physically, I don't think I could have, you know, and... As an athlete. Yeah. I just don't, I'm, I mean, I didn't have, I wasn't the pedigree, you know, what you have to come up through a gymnast camp or a soccer dad or, you know, and, and you're on a board by the time you're five or six and, you know, training. You've been hot housed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we've both got friends with kids right now who are yeah really good yeah. um, at the age of like 10. You know, yeah. And I... I wouldn't want that for my children. No. I no. No. I mean we're so I'm so lucky. Yeah. That I got to come up when I did. In it that was, era. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's why I want to ask the question really, because you've got this great overview of, of the arc of it. And people do talk about that period of snowboarding in as like this real halcyon era, you know, where it was unique. It was. And it was like could have only really happened during that that time in history and also time in the sports development right you know it is a magical time yeah a very very unique way to come up through something again a perfect storm yeah yeah so when i mean it'd be a great point to find out i know you've told the story before but i'd love to hear you talk about when you made the shift to your current career as an agent right so Mm. was this tied to the end of your career oh yeah I mean, early on, I think actually I was recovering from my second ACL and I was like, okay, what's next? And um, I had been fired by ride for, I was injured, but they were in the process of an acquisition by K2 and I was terminated and I found a lawyer who took my case on a contingency, a woman named Susan Fox in Seattle, and she made me write my own case. Essentially, she made me do a lot of the work because yep. she took it on contingency. <clears throat> and um, that was a really profound experience for me because I just realized the injustice, and it was the first time in my life where... I realized that corporate interests, you know, were not in favor of the athlete or the individual not aligned with or the own. artist yeah. or either creative or, or the, the talent. Was that a bit of a epiphany that I did? Cause, cause essentially the tools in that system without putting it too bluntly, right. You know, they're there to, yeah. to, to sell and to sell a story and ultimately well and you know i also it was like i came kind of you know up through skateboarding and then to snowboarding which then was you know all of the kind of the mergers and acquisitions started happening so that was kind of you know ride was right in that where the 
smaller brands and the gray market well, that was one of the really first big incidences of that wasn't it especially for ride which had always been such a tradition you know like a, a course snowboard company yeah know? we were like kind of you know a punk brand yeah especially when it came out it was a you know it was an alternative wasn't it it the was the it was a, it was the skateboard formula yeah, right exactly and it worked yeah and people still feel nostalgia about what ride did you know i think tim and steph the pogues and and our whole crew really did something special in a time where there was a lot happening yeah but it was fresh and you know played by those rules and so inevitably um they did an ipo right and they brought in a ceo who was just you know not a snowboarder <laughs> not the guy yeah and, and that was a harsh reality you know yeah. that's when it was like oh wow okay that ha that happened fast right i see a lot of parallels in cannabis actually really that's but it's happening way faster right wow there's a land grab going on there, which I'm sure we'll get to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, people have real nostalgic affinity for those brands, don't they? You know, even like recently with Volcom, like what's going on with Volcom, like how quickly that's... Yeah, good old Jamie Salter, who was uh, instrumental in a lot of the ride evolution into that world, uh, is who bought Volcom. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So this um was it was a turning point for you then when you kind of you could see your own situation in the context of this bigger picture that we're talking about yeah and i think you know my inherent uh you know fuck the establishment mentality came into play where it was like oh wow i can totally do this because i can get up every day and help the talent right fight the the corporate monsters and was it you this drive that we're talking about that gave you the confidence to do that because at the time that was a pretty forward thinking you know insight really and also like a pretty you know what like a, a big role to take on well I, a lot of it was probably just naivety yeah i can just do it sure yeah i had been successful in one thing why not this right um but you know steve came to me and he had kind of the same idea to to rep talent and he had some financial backing and so i started working with him yeah and how did it go it was challenging yeah what were the challenges oh i mean any startup right um and i think entering a kind of a traditional more traditional work environment was hard for me um but i really made it work for me because i you know i got to go hang out with people i love yeah did you come up against the cultural backlash in in the industry f from the idea that oh i still i come up against that every day right so that's not changed at all either oh no i'm a pariah right wow that's a strong word yeah that's I, the truth right so <laughs> why <laughs> sorry that's so um because i'm an agent right that's i mean that's what i mean you know because because obviously it's still seen as there's there's, there's a distaste about the role of of that role especially in, our, in skateboarding in our industry right you know especially like I'm, I, I, mean, I mean action sports really which is so funny because you have these like 
you know, brand managers who work for some of the biggest brands in the world, you know, the juggernauts who don't like me because of my role in making sure that the athletes are taken care of. And I mean, that's the kind of really, it's to, and again, it's to do with the, the, the way you self-identify in that culture, isn't it? You know, you, which must be quite maddening. <laughs> it is. It's, it's uh, to be honest, um, definitely plays into my transition into another industry. Right, really? Sure. It's, it's, so it's got to the point where you are almost... I'm so angry. I look at, you know, some of these, some of the juggernauts um, and how they treat women and the systemic uh, kind of toxic culture and the um, lack of real appreciation for why these things are, these particular activities that we do, these expressions of ourselves are so beautiful and it has just been bastardized. Wow. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean there? Um, probably not just because I still have a role to play. Sure. Okay. So I can't really speak specifics. Yeah. But you, it, I mean, it's, it's, it just seems cause you earlier you said you can see positive change and that you, there, there are things to be positive about and that you're trying not to, you know, keep, keep the anger that you feel in, in, in a good place, but it sounds like it's, it's well, like the way that I'm, you know, I just brought Yulene in who, um, is someone who interned for me ages ago. Yep. Um, and she and I have been, um, close for quite some time and she really had a desire to be an agent. And so, you know, I really suggested to her to go build a book of business. Yeah. And she did that. And so she has, you know, four of the U.S. women on the U U.S. national team for skateboarding. Um, she has uh, she has more opportunity than I ever did to build a book of business with women. Yeah. And so that is an incredible opportunity. And I feel such a wonderful gratitude to Wasserman, to, um, to the brands for, um, acknowledging the importance of, 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 you know, closing the wage gap in skateboarding for women. I could never do that because I couldn't build a lucrative book of business only representing women. Right. I would say the large <clears throat> majority of the women Sands Torah and you know Hannah Beeman and a, a few of my you know bigger names pro bono right wow but you recognize that and are happy to pass it on absolutely yeah I mean you must be you must be proud absolutely you must be proud because I am so proud created the platform there basically. and I and I feel like I can support her and it's generous to to basically you know acknowledge that and it's the only way yeah so when you, what are you proudest of from, from the career that you've had as, as an agent? Oh, I don't know. I've really loved working with Travis Rice and all that we've done together yeah. creatively and on the content side. And I just love him so much. He's just such a 
incredible human being. He really is. Um, Paul Rodriguez has been just one of the greatest joys career-wise. He is also just, you know, Torah, so much Yuri. It's about helping these people evolve into successful enterprise and contributing somehow into their evolution as human beings. And I am so proud of all of them. I don't work with anyone that I, you know, it like moves me to tears how much I care for them. And I know that they love me. And I don't know that there's that many businesses that you can have that kind of a relationship dynamic where you actually feel like um, a level of investment in their well-being and I can stand back and look at all of those people and know that I contributed in a meaningful way to them having a good life. Well, it speaks to that sense of community that you referred to from when you first discovered snowboarding, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's still intact. Yeah, Nicholas Mueller. I mean, you know, these are people who I have worked with for, you know, 15 years. Yeah, and seen the arc. Yeah. So you're looking for that. Well, what's fulfilling by the sounds of it is that creative partnership that enables them to make the most of their platform, really, yeah. that they've got. What do you want to do? Yeah. And is that basically your job to yeah. like look at, to look at, the, you know, you take someone like Travis, obviously, you know, when did he sort of break through 18, maybe? 19. Yeah. He was 19 when I signed him. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you must have. He, he had some heat on him. You must have recognized, the, you know, that the world was his oyster, really. So it's about helping to navigate those opportunities in the most kind of creative and progressive way, I guess. Absolutely. And I mean, so much of it is just collaborating and identifying, okay, what, what do you want to do and how can I help you get there? And even that's changed a lot. You know, a lot of the younger talent, it's so competition focused or, you, you know, there's a clear trajectory. And the thing that I love so much about, you know, working with human beings is not being formulaic in the approach is really how do you pull out the passion and then find ways much like I have to make that money. <laughs> so when you identified these relationships, I was really interested in the kind of process. What What are you looking for? Because obviously there's a lot of talent out there and there's a lot of incredible athletes you know you must see you must be inundated with with so, so what is it that makes these individuals that you've described stand out and what do you see I've always had like this really good almost sixth sense of who's gonna pop and I've certainly lost plenty of talent you know I used to represent Eric Costin and Taj Burrow and you know I've I've lost some talent over the years but I, I think it's the ones who understand the dance of the dynamic between what I can bring them and what they need to do are the ones who are the most successful and so I don't have any perfect um, formula for success it just it's kind of like trusting in the process and the ones 
for me, the ones that work are the ones that are able to do that. Yeah. You know, I represented Nyjah for a hot minute. You know, it's, there's, I only want to work with people who are pleasant and want to enjoy their life and uh, want to do the dance. Yeah. And that seems to to work out. You know, I have this kid, Jagger Eaton and Deshaun Jordan, uh, and both of them get it, right? It's like there's a lot of nastiness in the world of skateboarding, a lot of just kind of inherent bullying. It's part of the culture, and they have both just risen above that in so many ways. And that is um, the kind of people that I want to support. So how do you cope when, because obviously it sounds like you invest a lot personally and emotionally into these relationships and then you mentioned you've lost a couple of athletes like how can you cope with that when when they do leave is that something you've learned oh god when eric costin fired me it was like i was heartbroken i don't know you cope with it just like the end of any relationship you know you learn to get better at it yeah you you mourn it and then you move on yeah and i'm not gonna let it kill me but it you know there is a lot of uh sadness and when you put so much into someone or care so much about somebody you know for me i'm not you know i mean that's why i'm good there's there's a variety of agents with a particular style that are right for certain archetypes i'm you know i guess the mother archetype and i want to co-parent and I want to help raise healthy, amazing, dynamic human beings. And if you want someone who is just going to, you know, go get the big deals, there's plenty of options for you. Yeah. You can get the big deals and be a good person. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of how I choose. I let them choose for me. So you try and rise above it, this, this culture, this inherent toxicity and and bullying yeah and i mean i come home to this yeah you know i have a beautiful life and i love my children so much and i love being a mom and i have so much fun with my husband who keeps me laughing and interested in life in other ways and then everything else i just kind of keep you know uh fluid because it you know i i really realized at a certain point you know, I'd say in my early 40s that it was like I could just be angry all the time and that's not serving me, it's not serving my clients, it's not serving the organization that I work for and I actually want to be a positive contribution to the lives I touch and so I have to rise above it. Was that a relief when you realized that? Yeah, it took some therapy. but Sure, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a hard realization to come to, right? Yeah, and I will say, you know, uh, at one point Wasserman did uh, some like executive coach training and there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Hoog Troop who, you know, I think he does like some some coaching and he was one of Bill Clinton's speechwriters, I think. And, you know, I had a couple sessions with him where it was just like, hey, look, you can sit around all day long and be a victim of your circumstance or you find ways around it. Yeah. And that was really like I needed to hear that at that time. It was profound because it was like, okay, you know, it's so easy to just spend all this time, you know, and 
resist, you know, the the environment that you're in or you just find your way through it. And so I think that's kind of how I'm navigating. Yeah. So what advice would you give a woman who's listened to this who is coming up against this toxicity that you're, you know, who's passionate about these worlds and is is coming up against these things that you've come up against throughout your career, like, and wondering how to cope with it? I don't have any really great answers for that. Um, I think self-care, I mean, obviously you have to do the work. You have to work so hard. You have to, like, actually participate in the culture. That's the most important thing. But there's so much opportunity, but you have to demand it. You have to say, hey, um, look at me. See me. Because if you don't, you know, someone else is going to come along, and, and they are. And those are the ones who are going to get noticed. And I think, you know, there is this shift happening that I think allows for a greater opportunity. And if you really are a part of the culture in a meaningful way, and you um, are able to integrate into not only you know the the athlete aspect, but the workplace aspect. Um, there's more opportunity now than there ever has been. Yeah. So I think it's we're breaking it down, right? And it's not just. We're not, we can't take the sledgehammer to the wall, but um, we're slowly, you know, chipping away. And I think that um, despite how challenging it has been for me, I'm taking off some of the, the pieces so that it's a little bit easier for you. <laughs> and... Um, now it's kind of up to these young women to continue that. And a lot of it is, um, is doing good work. It's just doing good work and showing up. And, you know, I think it's so funny cause there's this, you know, kind of cultural problem that we have generational problem that we have with millennials, right. And, and the general senses of entitlement and, um, you know, I really see that and it's funny because it's like I I hear some of you know, they're asking for it, right? That that's what that's what we are telling them to do. Yeah. Show up and demand it. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, you also need to understand um that things take time and that in the meantime you need to do good work. And so I think it's a fine balance. Yeah, that. we have to learn that, don't you? I mean, yeah. I think I think everybody has a certain degree of entitlement during their, that period of their life, don't they? I think so. And I think a lot of it is generational just in how they've been parented. Yeah, and, and also you know. their opportunities to communicate, which, yes. which, which means you can suddenly, I mean, I'm very grateful that those opportunities weren't around when I was that age because oh yeah me too i'm not oh. sure if i was a social that, media that was kindly. alive <laughs> i mean which is sad right because obviously i i made it through the devil's corridor of yeah. debauchery and i turned out okay 
and kids don't have the same opportunity to do that. But you can see it's changing behavior as well, though. I can certainly see that. In, oh, absolutely. In, you know, because there is no escape. <laughs> There's <laughs> no escape. Basically, from this Dantean hellscape that's been created around us. I know. Yeah. It's true. Um, well, I, I had a question about the creativity because I'm, I'm guessing that's something that's really important to you personally. And, you know, through, you know, we talked about the snowboarding and we talked about the way you do now, but you've always had these extracurricular things away from that. You know, you've done clothing lines and you've got mm -hmm. your current business where it seems like you really relish the chance to kind of control that creative side. Is that something that's fair to say? It It is. Um, I really value the entrepreneurial spirit that lives inside of me and I have to find ways to express that outside of just making other people's ideas fully realized. Yeah, which I imagine can get a little limiting if you do have that, you know, expression. It's yes, and it's also really hard to do two careers. <laughs> yeah. So um, I find sometimes that I'm a woman who does too much. And so I'm still doing that dance. Right. You know, so much of like, if I sit and go, okay, what do I want? What is my legacy? What, what have, outside of my children's experience, what, what is, what have I left behind? And I just want to know that I, I stretched myself. I did everything I could to be the best um, I could be. And I think the only way for me to do that is to do these other things. Yeah. And are you, is the challenge part of it also an appeal? Because, you know, you, you like this project, it's a whole, and like you say, it's an entire new industry, like the cannabis industry. And, you know, you, it sounds like you're learning the lessons from your experience to navigate that world but is that something that you you kind of relish with these projects i think initially yes because so much of it for me is like about the vision or the idea that i want to bring to life and i've been able to do that but i am more challenged on you know how do you do that at scale yeah. or and then i kind of come up against like i I don't come from like a venture capital pedigree or a financial background. And so I keep kind of butting up against some of the same themes. Yeah, that you've, you've had to the, work yeah. against. Yeah, right. which is really interesting. So it's kind of like uh, I continue um, to try to push through some of that. And how's it going? The new, the new it's venture? It's going. Hot knife, right? Yeah appreciated that name as a as a brit i'm so glad yeah. yes I the mean, americans get that yeah oh yeah it was a very big northwest thing actually this is where i hope my mum's not listening yeah yeah right yeah. yes and you've obviously taken the um you know the wave market is specific right it is yeah um and it's a little bit of a nostalgia play and yeah. I also wanting to appeal to uh, the multicultural millennial, you know, with, you know, so much of of it is about, you know, the full expression of my own experience. And what's fun about Hot Knife is there's, you can learn something, you know, most, you know, now that dab rigs have been invented, 
hot knifing is, you know, a lost art. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, people really respond to that. Yeah. And so. It certainly strikes a chord in a certain consumer, I imagine. It does. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Really? Yeah. Wow. Why? How, how so? Just because California is just, it's a, it's a bit of a shit show. Right. It's, you know, we're still, you know, probably 80 to 90% dominated by the black market and trying to operate a legal business. You just need really deep pockets. Right. And I don't have those. Right. But that's a big thing to take on, you know. It is. It is. Yeah. But it's also really fun and it gives me joy. Yeah. It does. I really, you know, I've been a cannabis consumer. Um, and it's just been omnipresent in our culture. And so I love nascent businesses. I've been doing the same thing for a really long time. Yeah, right. So is that that must be something that fires you up a bit as well, like the chance It does. Do. Yeah. 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 There's something about that. Like I understand the opportunity in a way. Um, but also it's so different in so many ways. And it's moving so quickly. But I feel like if I can continue to kind of incubate this brand and it's authentic and meaningful, um, it has value. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Where does it sit in the marketplace? Um, in, in dispensary retail. Yeah. And how about the branding and the, and the positioning? Is it, is, it, does, is it standalone? Is it unique? It is. I think so. I do. You know, there's plenty of other brands trying to use kind of action sports as their platform. Yeah, we've, we've, we've kind of noticed it just being here for a few weeks because obviously it's culturally really different from the UK and Europe. Sure. So we've been kind of looking at it going, oh, you know, like it's really interesting for, as an outside consumer and just seeing this this, yeah. this market and wh where everyone's positioning themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's so much I want to do. And a lot of it is different from what I have done traditionally, which is why it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I've got one more question for you, if that's all right. Please. Um, so what are you proudest of? My children. I think my experience and their exposure to it has, um, it's fun to watch them take it in and the way that they get to grow up is unique i've actually got one more okay yeah it's about your name which i know you've told the story before because mm -hmm. it was from greek mythology right mm -hmm. has that ever been difficult to live up to <laughs> having having <laughs> such a potent well, game of thrones hasn't helped potent myth <laughs> story you know as i think so it's at first when I first kind of discovered how big of a name it was, I was excited. It was like, oh, okay, right, of course. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in it, right? Yeah, and especially when you, if you if you when you looked into it, it must be very difficult not to see a lot of symbolism in that. It's all there. Yeah. And, you know, I love the mystical realms and, you know, I'm spiritual but agnostic. Uh, and I really, yeah, I, I came into this world with a really big name. And um, there's also something really um, comforting 
that it's cosmic, right? Of course, I am called to do big things. Do you think you've lived up to it? I don't know. That's a really good question. I think as I age, I have a lot of self-doubt in ways that I'd never had before and a lot of responsibility and, um, and a lot of fear that I'd never had before. So I'm, you know, life is a journey and I'm working through it. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no worries. So there you go. That was my conversation with Cersei. I hope you enjoyed it. I was got to be honest, I nearly asked her for a hot knife after that chat, but um, alas, she had to go to LA. So next time, Cersei, eh? But yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. Really enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Hope you found the story as inspirational as I did. And if you did, I've got a request, actually. Now, whenever I publish an episode with somebody like Cersei that deals with issues that we discussed in our conversation, I always get a lot of people getting in touch saying stuff, saying stuff like, thanks a lot for publishing that. It's frustrating how most media outlets don't cover this type of stuff. And I think if that's the case, then please consider sharing it. Because the reason most media don't publish stories such as this is because they think nobody cares. Now, luckily, I'm in the position where I can just put it out there and do what I want, really. But the more stories like Cersei's and Sachi and Corey's get visibility, the more likely that status quo is likely is going to change. So if you liked it, share it. Okay, so housekeeping corner, and I've got an update of where I am with the Patagonia Type 2 collaboration, actually, because I've had a few people asking me about that. So basically, I recorded a couple of episodes when I was in the States, one with Greg Long, one with Belinda Bags, And about the time this one that you're listening to now is being released, I'm probably going to be in Amsterdam recording a roundtable podcast at Patagonia HQ with a few people. And then I'm going to just release the first few episodes really and see how it goes down as i mentioned it's going to come out on my looking sideways channel but it's going to be a different show it's going to be called type two although it is essentially going to be me interviewing people i mean i'm not going to be reinventing the wheel here i'll be honest so basically if you subscribe to the podcast it's going to turn up in your feed anyway now i'll be using the type two platform to explore issues of environmental and outdoor activism in our world in uh, like i say trademark looking sideways style so please let me know what you think when they do come out because uh yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they go down of course if you've got any ideas for guests let me know over at podcast at we are looking sideways.com or at we look sideways on instagram all right that's it for this week i'm back with another episode soon which is my conversation with the great taylor knox believe it or not recorded in carlsbad as yet again on my californian odyssey such a pleasure this one he was an absolute gent, Taylor, and uh, we had a really fun and insightful conversation about his life and career that I think everyone's going to really enjoy. So keep an ear out for that one. In the meantime, have a good one. Let me know what you think. I'll catch you next episode. Nice one. <laughs>